Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, again as we gather in various places to worship, to sing praise, to pray, and to hear your word, we pray that this day, by your word and your spirit, you would strengthen us and give us courage and remind us indeed that we are your people and that we stand together as your children in all time and in all places. Father, bind our hearts, bind our lives together in love and know indeed the power of your word in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last words. How many times have you ever been in some sort of disagreement and the urge is always there for you to get in the last word? There's something within us in our own sinful nature that somehow we always need to prove that we are right or that we have the answer or the last word in all things. And yet, in reality, it's really God who has the last word. And sometimes it is simply our job, our call, if you will, to be quiet, to be still, and to let God speak. In our Old Testament lesson today from Ezekiel, one of my all-time favorite stories in Scripture, we have Ezekiel who is carried along by the Spirit and he's set down in the middle of a valley of dry bones. And God leads him around that valley and then he asks him, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, being wise, if you will, hedges on actually answering the question and throws it back at God, O oh Lord God, you know. So God puts it back on Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones. I want you to say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I love this. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, the text doesn't say anything here, but you've got to wonder if Ezekiel's thinking here. Right. We see those thoughts sometimes in Scripture, those pauses, if you will, where God is asking someone to do something that seems to be near impossible. We see it when he asks Noah and his three sons to build an ark and tells them what to do. We see it here. We see it with Abraham when he is told what to do, the tree of Mamre. We see it with the Israelites later on when God is telling them what to do and asking them to do it, and again, they rebel. And sometimes in our own hearts and in our own lives, we hesitate to do the very things that God calls us to do because we look at the task before us and we say, this ain't going to work. I, I'm going to be a fool here. It's like I referenced a few weeks ago, the whole idea of Naaman the leper dipping himself seven times in the Jordan River. 
You see, what God asks us to do is to, to put forward and to exercise the faith that he grants to us by his Holy Spirit, to walk by faith and to live by faith in the power of his spoken word. So Ezekiel does that. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, a bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So he prophesies once more as commanded by God. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to them, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. It's God's spoken word that has power and authority. It's God's spoken word that can bring the dead to life. It's God's spoken word that can remind us that we are his people and that he lives and he dwells among us full of grace and truth. We remember that as we come to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We remember those words. That Jesus, as he's manifested in the flesh in this world, our Lord Emmanuel, God with us, comes into our world and he breathes that life-giving breath into our lives by the Holy Spirit, bringing us to a faith and to an understanding of God that passes all of, of what we're able to do on our own. And we live and we walk by thy faith, and yet it's hard. Paul reminds us of exactly how God indeed has the last word, not just in Ezekiel and with Ezekiel, that word that gives life, but how God brings his word into our lives to begin to teach us. Because you see, as he mentions to us, that we are free in Christ Jesus. That in Christ, we are freed from the chains of the law and set free of sin and death and even of the power of the devil in our lives. And we're set free not because we've earned it or done it on our own or sawed the, the chain links in half somehow. But no, we're set free because of what Christ did for us on the cross, taking upon himself the multitude of our sin and our disobedience. Because you see, there's no way that we can fix or restore our relationship with God. Christ takes it upon himself and goes to a cross in our place to suffer and die for our sin. And so we know that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's set free from sin and death and the power of Satan to control his life. The old is gone and the new has come. We are restored and made whole in Christ. Because you see, as Christ speaks those last words from the cross, it is finished. We know that our sins have been paid for and that we are forgiven. It's at the cross that, that we understand that God again has the last word over sin, over death, and over Satan. That last word of power and strength that takes these dry, dead bones and raises them to new life. That takes what is impossibly human and raises us up in a way that we are at the same time now saints of God, struggling with the sinful flesh, but putting our hope and our, and our trust in God to overcome all things. 
And so we begin to live in our lives not in a way that pleases ourselves or pleases the world, but in a way in which we seek to please God in all things. It's not easy, but that's what God calls us to do by the power of his word, to be Christ-minded and Christ-focused. And the Holy Spirit works to shape us in that way. Paul says it in our epistle lesson today. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. We know that the Spirit of Christ dwells in us and we have life, and we have life abundantly in this world. And even though we face death all day long, especially as we start looking at all the statistics and everything about this coronavirus, we need not be afraid because we have our life in Christ and our hope is in him and salvation is in him and even if our life in this world, our mortal life shall cease, yet we have everlasting life with him in paradise forever. Death has no hold. Christ won the victory for us at the cross, and the grave is empty. We're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks with the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. It's important for us to be a life-focused, Christ-focused people in the midst of the darkness that's in our world around us, in the midst of despair and people trying to hang on to life at all costs. We know that we have life and we have it abundantly in this world, and we need not be afraid. You see, if we take a look again at that wonderful word made flesh in the gospel given to us today, we begin to see how Christ unfolds. For in that story of Lazarus dying, Jesus deliberately waits for a period of time before he even goes to Lazarus. And why? Why does he wait? He knows what's going to happen. He knows that Lazarus is going to die. And he knows that Lazarus is going to be put into a tomb. And yet, through Lazarus, Christ can illustrate the power of who he is as the Messiah. In other words, death is not going to have a hold on Lazarus. The last word of Christ, the power of Christ's word in the face of death, in the face of mortality, Christ is going to prevail. He encounters Martha on the way to the village of Bethany, and Martha says to him, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I always thought that question was a little interesting. Is Martha asking him in a roundabout way to raise her brother from the dead? Or is she simply asking for a healing of her broken heart at the death of her brother? Is she asking Jesus for words of hope? Is she asking for that assurance for Jesus to say, It's okay, Martha, your brother is in heaven. Your brother is alive with God the Father. We don't know. 
We don't know exactly where Martha's heart is. I would guess that her heart's in the same place where all of our hearts are when someone close to us dies. We're in a state of confusion, a state perhaps of, of mourning and grief that maybe we utter words that we didn't mean to say or, or, or we blurt out things that, that are kind of confusing. But Christ here brings a clarity to Martha. He says to her, your brother will rise again. He refocuses her on that promise that one day all the dead shall rise. And Martha references that. I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says to her very pointedly, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question before each of us. Do we believe this? In the midst of these troubled times, where do we put our hope, our understanding, our belief? She says these wonderful words, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. What's interesting is her response is kind of different. It's not exactly a response to the question that asked, Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I have the power over life and the grave? Her answer says, yes, but so much more. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And the power of all things, of all creation, is in your hands. And we know how this unfolds. You see, they wind up at the tomb. And Jesus offers a prayer with Mary and the Jews and Martha. They're all there. And he prays. But before he prays, everybody's kind of questioning. The Jews are saying, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? If only he had been here. That's the question. They have no doubt that if Jesus had been there, that, that, that he could have saved Lazarus from death itself. And then when he commands them to take away the stone, they argue. He's been dead four days, Jesus. If we roll away the stone, it's really going to stink pretty bad. I love that because it reminds me of the fact that, you know, we've been sinners our whole life and the stink of our sin is pretty bad. Can you really do something with this? This is like, Lord, if I walked into the church someday, well, you can't really do that right now, but if I walked into the church someday, the walls would cave in and the roof would cave in because, you see, I am so bad that, that the love of Jesus, no, I'm so bad that he couldn't even fix me anymore. It's the protests. We don't really understand the power of the word and of the spoken word. When Christ says, your sins are forgiven, that's the last word. Our sins are washed away. We are forgiven. No matter how bad we've been or where we've been or what we've done in our lives, the love of Christ 
And the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy of God overcomes all. And it's not any different here than with actual physical mortal death. Jesus offers his prayer to God in heaven. And when he's finished with that prayer, he says those words, Lazarus, come out. It's words of command and words of authority, the last words. And Lazarus, we read, comes out his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Freed from death. That's what the word of Christ does for us in our lives. Freed from death. Your sins are forgiven. We're healed, not only for this life, but for all of eternity. We cling to those words of promise. And yet it's those very last words that Christ speaks in raising Lazarus from the dead that cause problems. Because his word reaches the chief priests and the Pharisees and they begin to communicate with one another, the fear in their hearts becomes very evident. What are we to do? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, we know that's not a bad thing. In fact, that's the very thing that we want, for people to see what Christ does and the love of Christ in their lives and to believe in him and to trust in him above all things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To know the power of Christ for our lives and our world today and to know that he can set us free. That we're not bound to the evil of this world, but rather to the love of Christ who suffered and died for us. The text tells us that even Caiaphas, overcome by the Holy Spirit, is, is made to prophesy on behalf of the people. He says, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people. Now, I'm sure that Caiaphas doesn't understand it the same way that we do, or that God does. But he uttered the words, this man has to die. He has to die for the whole people so that the whole nation should not perish. He's thinking of it from a very self-centered standpoint. If, if this man keeps going on, we're going to lose our power, our authority, and our wealth, and all of the respect and everything else that we have. But God causes him to prophesy and utter the words so that we understand very clearly what this is about. That Jesus has to die in our place because we can't fix the brokenness ourselves. And so Jesus has to die for the sins of the whole nation. And not only for the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. For all of the people that God is going to gather as his children. Those who are scattered abroad. Caiaphas, in a sense, has the last word. Jesus is going to die. He's going to die at the hands of sinful man. And he's going to die for sinful man in our place. And why? Because he loves us. You see, in all things, again, God always has the last word. He has the last word in our lives. He has the last word as we live together. He has the last word as we draw our last breath in this world. For we in his arms, in faith, as we draw our last breath in this world, his words to us are well done, good and faithful servant. He has the last words 
and judgment upon all mankind. It all belongs to him. He began things with the power of his word when he said, let there be. And all things end with him when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, it's all in God's hands. He has the last word for our lives. He has the last word over life and death. And so we walk by faith, trusting in the power of God's word for our lives today. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't uh, hesitate. Uh, trust in God as he calls you to speak the truth of his word to people around you in your lives. Bear witness to his love, to an understanding that comes from beyond us, but relies upon the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid in these troubled times to pick up the phone and to talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors, your family, to write the notes and to color the pictures. Don't be afraid to share the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if people, if people don't quite understand what God is doing, that's okay. We don't always understand what God is doing, but we know this, that he is doing those things that will bring glory and honor to his name and to his kingdom. And he works through us, his people, to do it. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the true faith of God in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.